Welcome to Ambitious Souls Podcast. I am your host, Princess James. I too have struggled to become the best version of myself. And if you've been searching for someone who can relate to what you've gone through, please look no further. Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Helen Keller. Welcome back, ladies. You already know what today is. It's my favorite day of the week. It's Wednesday, and I hope you guys have enjoyed the last um, week's episode with Miss Nicole Vick. We're still talking about her book, Pushing Through, Finding the Light in Every Lesson. Thank you, Miss Vick, for coming back with us this week and answering some more of my questions. Thank you for having me back again. I'm like, you sure you want me to come back here and be running my mouth? <laughs> Well, I don't know if they don't know, which they know me pretty well. Um, They know that I'm actually enjoying this. I really love to read. And I think that's what makes it so personal for me. Because with a lot of the people that I've had on, well, yourself and maybe two others, you you all are authors. So I was able to actually read the book prior to actually um, doing the podcast episode. So for me, it's really been great. It's been educational. So I'm actually enjoying it. I'm glad. I'm glad. And I think that this is really a good opportunity to share um, different perspectives. And, and, you know, as you said in the uh, other episode, like the, even the title of my book is so timely and I had no idea when I named it, uh, pushing through that we be going through what we're going through right now in this country. So it's, it's really been an amazing journey. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad and grateful that you have asked me to come um, talk and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Whatever you want to know, I'm here. And it's just like seeing when you were saying it so timely, it's like how everything came together. So perfectly the book title and when it was released, it was just like, to me, I feel like it was really, it's like confirmation that, yeah, what you had to say, and your purpose here is is it's it's that like not saying that that the book limits to what you're capable of doing, but just to see um everything that you've poured into it and the things that you're doing like really is really great. A lot of people don't have the opportunity to be passionate about what they do, and then you know a lot of people even go to school they major in something, but then they end up in a different career field and not even using the degree that they you know got all this debt for. Yeah, that's very true, and I think um, I just love public health. I believe in public health. Like I, the things that we learn and talk about are really really important. So, like you said, it's not even just about a job for me. Um, it really is something that I really believe strongly about and live, you know, people, you, nobody can ever say, oh, she just, you know, talking out of her mouth. No, I'm actually, I actually do practice what I preach um, and do my best to teach others. So I hear you because a lot of us do have to, unfortunately, work somewhere where maybe it's not aligned with what we really believe in or are passionate about. And I think I've been so blessed and lucky, lucky to have both to be able to work somewhere that I love. Love, um, and also to do the work that I think is important. Right. And so 
we're going to go ahead and talk about the latter portion of your book. Um, you do talk about your daughter, of course, throughout the book. But one of the things that I wanted to point out um, is with that when she got ready to leave um, for college and everything, um, you made a statement about she belongs to herself. And so for me, I love your positive perspective on, you know, your daughter leaving the nest because a lot of people don't see them some people and and I could be wrong and it's not everybody but some people right. hold their kids hostage you know they 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 don't know what to do after their child leaves because they've committed so much of their life to living for their children and then of course some people feel like um I guess like their kids are obligated to them in a sense and mm -hmm. so or they want their kids there to help them pay bills or I don't know what er, everybody's story different but I just loved how you right. said that and how you released her I really really appreciated that not just for her but for you too because um Style Vixen was created after she left yes yes and um I definitely I would consider myself a different parent than my parents were to me. Um, and again, you know, my parents weren't, you know, horrible, um, but I definitely had a different approach and it could have had a lot to do with the fact that I had her so young. So I had a little bit of a different perspective um, about who she is, who I am. And I really made an effort to separate my role as a mother with, from my role as being myself. So Nicole, style vixen, whatever that is, is different from mom. And that I allowed myself to, yes, be her mother, which is very important, but also, hey, I, I want to go do something. So when she's with her father and he's raising her and taking care of her, I can go do some other things. And I think that's important because, as you just said, a lot of times as parents, we put so much into our children that, you know, it's like we lose um, the the. Uh, ability to figure out who we are and what makes us happy and what we want to do. And then when they leave, we're like confused, like so much is tied into making sure they're okay and grown. When they leave us, it's like, what, what, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And it's like, that's because during those years that they were growing up, you didn't take time for yourself and nurture that part of you that, you know, existed before they were even here. So I, I really made an effort to kind of keep both parts of me alive, that mom part and the part of me that's just who I am and, and the opportunity to uh, explore and, and learn new things and try new things. And it was really great. And yeah, she belongs to herself. My job was to make sure she got, got to adulthood alive <laughs> in one piece. And I, I laugh at that. But at the same time, we already know black children in a lot of um, situations, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Some of our children do not make it to adulthood. So I laughed at that. But at the same time, like, for real, no, like, we got to make sure our kids get a lot, uh, make it, make it through. Um, but my job was to raise her, to give her her sense of value, to to help her understand what it means to be a black woman in this country, to make sure that she's healthy and all those great things and to instill in her the values that I think are important. But when she gets of age, my job is to let her go now. That doesn't mean, girl, you got to go. Man, I lock the door and she can't come back, you know, because what happens is the relationship um, 
it it uh what's the word it's kind of like how a butterfly right you kind of they they change right it, 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 the relationship changes um and so now you know the funny thing is we're friends like i'm her mama of course because like i'm like wait a minute now hold on uh-uh but because the way i created our relationship she will come to me with stuff that i don't think a lot of children come to their parents about and I say children, she's 23, so she's actually an adult, but we have conversations about things that I think people should have with their their adult children that sometimes don't happen because it's like we've created this situation and relationship where we want our children to fear us. Mm-hmm. No, you got to respect me. And it's like, but that doesn't help to nurture a relationship. So what happens if they get themselves into an issue where maybe they're scared, they may have an STD or or something else happens in that in the person they should be talking to, which is are their parents, they feel afraid to talk to. That's not how it should be. I want her to come talk to me about anything, even if I am like, what in the hell you know in the back of my head I'm like oh mm-mm. but at least she had a, we were having a conversation about it right and I can say well what do you think you should do let her think about it figure it out well mom maybe I want to do this well if you do this what if that happens oh but that's not what I want to happen well then maybe we should think about a different solution that's how you want to raise your children so that they can come to you and you can have those kinds of conversations instead of them being like oh I can't talk to my mama Mm-mm. and then they end up <laughs> I don't know wherever in this in a bad situation that they can't get out of so it's really important that to raise them I think in that way mm-hmm. and so I hadn't touched on it before but just listening to what you're saying I'm going to touch on it because In your book, Mm -hmm. you talk about your relationship with her father and how you guys co-parented. And so you talked about as she grew older and she went into adulthood, you talked about how you no longer had to deal with, you know, the co-parenting and you related it to stress. And I think that a lot of and I said it yesterday, I was talking to one of my friends and he was talking about um the co-parenting relationship between him and his ex-wife. And so I brought up your book in an instance because you were talking about the stress of things. And I said, you know, for me, with my relationship with my children's fathers, you know, I've kind of cut off contact because it's stressful. Like, it really, really is stressful. It creates me more stress internally, you know, the headaches and all of this, the going back and forth with me dealing with them instead of me not dealing with them, just cutting them off. Like, it's... I can't even put it into words how stressful it is trying to co-parent with people who, one, you really don't know, and then, two, you have two different parenting styles. And then, of course, the last but not least part of it is you have different priorities. Your priority is the child, and their priority at the time may be how they're living or what they desire to have going on in their life. And so you have those conflicts with each other because it's like, no, this is what needs to happen, and in their mind, no... I'm not doing it. And so it makes it really, really stressful. Yes. Um, I will not lie. It was hard. It was really hard for me because, again, we didn't get along very well. And there were a number of reasons. I mean, starting with the fact that he broke up with me while I was pregnant and he told me he wanted us to be friends. I'm like, we passed friends. I'm pregnant with your child. We we, we not friends, sir. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, 
we did the best we could. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, for us, we were young. We were like 18, 19. Um, and thankfully, our parents on both of our sides, his side and mine, were really helpful in trying to help us negotiate. But it was still really hard because, as you said, we had different parenting styles. We had different ideas about what should was best for my, our daughter. Um, and we disagreed sometimes. And it was very frustrating. Um, but at the end of the day, um, he definitely wanted his daughter. Um, he, I remember the day, and it's in the book, the day that he said, I want to keep her a week at a time, not just every two days or a weekend thing. I'm not a weekend parent. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I remember right. that. <laughs> and that was hard. I was like, oh, my goodness. How, who going to help her with her homework? Who going to get her to school on time? And, and it took me a while to realize he, he's a he's that's his job. He's right. supposed to be able to do that. Um, so I did let, you know, let it go. And I said, okay, go ahead. But it was hard. It was hard. And, and I will say I, Ooh, I couldn't wait till she turned 18. I said, ooh, we, I ain't got to talk to this man no more. And, you know, I don't know if he'll ever hear this or his parents ever hear. I was happy. Mm-mm. Yeah. I don't talk to him at all. She can talk to him. He's, she's, she's 23. She can have a conversation with her own dad. I don't need to be in that at all. Um, so it's, it's a lot of work. It is worth it if you can do it. But I understand that there are some situations where it doesn't work. Maybe that person is is um, harmful to the kids or, you know, something else is going on and it may be better to cut cut it short. I don't judge no mother or father because I had a, a person I went to church with, our choir director at one point. He, he had to do the opposite. He had to cut the mom short. So it happens. It can happen in both instances you got to do what you got to do for your kids um but if you can work it out um it it definitely does benefit them to have both parents around um but it i i can't lie it's hard and i know a lot of people listening definitely can understand how hard it can be working with schedules um well, the, now he the, the child want to go this day over here, but who going to pay for the thing and the whatever? And it's, the schooling becomes an issue. Who's taking him to back to school? And it's, it's a lot. Um, but, you know, the kids didn't ask to be here, honey. They didn't ask. Mm-mm. So <laughs> we can't be making these kids feel like it's their fault because they didn't ask to be here. They could have they were just fine. <laughs> the, the separate egg and the sperm. They were fine. Nobody, nobody asked for that. So um it's our responsibility to do the best we can for our kids. Right. And I I'm so glad that you said that. And you also talked about um being open minded. Um which um one of the things that I pulled from the book that I want to talk about because a lot of people <sighs> I'm going to take a deep breath on this one. (laughs) But it's true. And I feel like, and this is in no way to discredit religion, um, because I am, of course, a Christian woman. So it's not to discredit Mm -hmm. anything or anyone. But you had some very valid points. And um, I'm going to read this, and then I'll, I'll go into detail. So The book Conversations with God also states that there is no heaven and no hell. They are both here on earth. I am inclined to agree with that assertion. We all know someone right now living their own personal hell right now here on earth, pulled down and oppressed by homelessness, violence, substance abuse, I'm sorry, substance use disorder, stress, and any other hell that you can imagine. We don't need to die to experience our lowest of the lows. We also don't need to die to experience the best of humanity. 
the moments that make us feel most alive, the experiences that bring us together and remind us that we are more alike than we are different. All those things can and do happen in the here and now. And so for me, that spoke so many volumes because as a Christian woman, you know, one of the biggest things that um, we're taught is that we should tithe. And there was a point in my life where I was tithing. I would tithe. Mm -hmm. um, I was getting paid every two weeks. And at the time I had three children and I had a good job and I would tie every two weeks and I was still struggling, but I mm -hmm. felt guilty when I did not tie. It was like the way that it was taught to me was as if my blessings were tied to my tithe. If I didn't tie, mm -hmm. then something bad was going to happen to me or God was going to get that money. I remember one week, um, I didn't tie and so I had like a flat tire or my battery went dead or something oh, wow. and I remember mm -hmm. saying to myself like I really felt like that happened to me because I didn't give back to God and so growing up not saying that Christianity or religion is 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 forced on us but in a sense it is because as a child you learn what your parents are currently practicing or are used to and so you right. don't get the option to choose in which religion you serve until you're older enough to actually, you know, do the research yourself and ask all of these questions. And so I thank God that now today as a grown woman, I have a personal relationship with God and I have my own mm -hmm. personal identity of what religion means to me because religion can be oppressive. And that's my truth. It, it may not be anybody else's truth, but it is my truth. There, there have been times where I felt guilty. I felt ashamed. I didn't feel because the Holy Spirit should convict you, but and mm -hmm. it should make you want to do better. But there were times where right. I felt beat up, and I felt mm -hmm. like I was going to hell for the stuff that I was doing. And I don't really feel like that's kind of what God wants us to feel, in a sense. Right. 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 Absolutely. Um. And as you said, this is not a uh. Uh, opportunity to bash or to criticize what people believe. I am, I would consider myself um, spiritual. Um, I'm very much in touch with, you know, things on that level, but I, I will say I'm not a Christian. I would, you know, sometimes it's even hard for me to say that because I know what that means and what people think that means for me. Um, but again, it's not, uh, this is not me saying, oh my gosh, this is a bad thing. It's not. I think that people should have the right. We are in the United States of America. Everyone has the right to believe what they think is best for them to make it through the, their, their, their lives. I have seen the benefit of Christianity, religion in people's lives, especially people, for example, that are working through things like substance use disorder or whatever, right? They need something to help get them through that day and, and something to look forward to. That is perfectly fine. I think for me, it's about um, realize I, I want people to think about the fact that that people don't all think the same way mm -hmm. or believe the same thing and that there ultimately is not necessarily anything wrong with that. I have been so blessed in my 15 years at my current job and even in other opportunities in my life to be exposed to people that don't think the way 
that we expect them to think. I have a friend that is, if you look at her, she looks Indian, like an East Indian person. Um, she was born in Tanzania, Africa. She speaks seven languages. She speaks Swahili, one of the languages she speaks. She's a Muslim. And I love learning from her mm -hmm. until she tells me about what happens in her life, what she eats, all these recipes and we share. And I love learning. I've met people from Malaysia. I've, met, I've worked with people from the LGBTQ community. One of the things I think that is so important is to see people for who they are, to learn, take that as an opportunity to learn from them. Um, so I'm not that person that's condemning folks for what they, what they believe to be true or not, uh, unless that means that we are going to condemn people um, for who they are. I, I don't, that part of it, I'm like, no, we can't do that. But, you know, it, it, it's an interesting thing. And, and the quote that you read is so very true. There are people right now on this planet, right now, that are living the lowest of the possible low. We have a homeless rate in LA County that is so high. And guess what? 40% of those homeless people are black. Mm that are out here in the street, would you think, don't you think that that's hell? Living outside um, in, a, in one of the richest countries in the world? People are not able to eat. We have children that aren't able to eat food um, on, their, on their, you know, they don't have a meal, a regular place to eat um, on a daily basis. So I think that, you know, all of that to me is really relative and, and we don't have to wait to die to experience hell. Um, on this on on this earth and then at the same but exactly what I said heaven you know there have been some things that I've seen on Facebook where I'm like wow people have come together to fight against something that's wrong people have come together across you know across racial ethnic whatever lines and have said you know what we're going to work together on something those are the beautiful moments I feel like wow there is <laughs> there's hope for us um, and so yeah, I've had an interesting relationship with religion. I grew up in the church, but I grew up in the Lutheran church, which is almost very close to like Catholic churches, mm -hmm. really. Not Pentecostal. Like, so when people speak in tongues and stuff, even for me, I'm like, oh, I've never seen that before in person or any, you know. So my experience in church is really very different from a lot of people. But, you know, I think however folks need to to move to feel good about life to keep themselves um in line with um their morals and values perfectly okay um you will never hear me say anything bad about what people choose i just wish and want and desire for other people to understand that not everyone thinks the same way and that's okay and it's okay to learn and ask and have conversation because ultimately um some of the stuff we talked about in our first episode together was people don't understand each other. And then this is why we're having these problems today. Fight fighting. We have to fight for our humanity because people don't see it because they don't understand. Um, so, yeah. Mm. And it's some people don't want to understand. And that was something that was for me. When I read that part of your book, I feel bad because I was like, wow, you know, it's true because. Christ I wouldn't say Christianity necessarily, but religion mm -hmm. has made people, you in 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 a sense, uncomfortable to even speak your truth because right. you're condemned or you're judged or you're looked at a certain way because you don't agree with what um other people agree with. And so I really felt bad. I was like, wow, that's crazy how and it is true. 
it is true because I can agree with you because I've been through things in life as well that I feel judged or I feel, you know, wasn't going to be um, acceptable with some of the people that, you know, I either went to church with or I worship with or pray with. And so I just I, I'm thankful that now I'm learning like this whole COVID pandemic situation has really opened my eyes to a lot because. I was even talking to my parents um, real quickly about how in the Bible is taught that Adam, I mean, Eve ate an apple, right? That's what they say. That's the, that's the fruit of choice. Mm -hmm. But if you actually go do the research for yourself in Genesis chapter three, it never says she ate an apple. And I know that's something real trivial (laughs) to compare it to, but it's true. Uh, all this time you got people feeling and thinking that it was an apple but really it just said fruit and I know apple was the word of choice it was something that they used but just imagine how much other stuff that's in the bible that was tweaked or misconstrued and taught to us you know you know what I'm saying right so absolutely and I think that's the scary part too that you know, it's important to do your own research. Um, we know th- throughout history, I was reading about, um, what's his name? There's a popular or famous Catholic uh, priest. I can't remember his name right now. Um, and I know they're tearing down a lot of his statues um, across the you know country. And I think even around the world because he came from Spain, he's Catholic, and really was trying to, um, the natives, the Native Americans, the indigenous people um, in South America, I guess even into California, um, into Catholicism. And so, you know, I guess from his perspective, you know, yes, I need to teach these people to be better people. But, you know, if you really think about the bigger picture, like they were fine the way they were. They were they were minding their business. <laughs> the natives and indigenous people were doing quite well without you, sir. So is, is this an interesting thing? And I think one of the things that we all should do and strive to do. Um, yes, you can hold on to what is important to you and your values, but traveling doing research, you start to understand that there are other ways to think about things and that other people are living their lives um, and have no idea or perspective or understanding of what you're doing and just, hey, I didn't I didn't realize that and, and have conversations and be curious, I think is really important um, to help broaden our perspectives and broadening your perspective doesn't mean you have to let go of what you believe, but it may open your mind a little bit. Um, to understanding how other people live and why they do what they do. Um, and then you can compare and contrast. Oh, okay. Well, th- I now understand why this may be offensive to someone because now I've taken the time to understand where they're coming from. Right. And so I think that is really, really very important. Mm-hmm. And so not just being open-minded um, is very important. One of the things that you said is it's very important to have a solution-focused mindset and work to find solutions to problems not just argue about who's at fault, especially when the damage is already done. In most cases, it's, yeah. oh, I'm going to miss that word up, infinitely more important. Did I say that right? Infinitely. Uh-huh. Infinitely. Yeah. Okay. More important to fix the problem than to worry about who caused it. And I think that's that goes back to even if we want to talk about for an instance, you know, racism, you know, Okay, Mm -hmm. we were sold, um, we were brought over here as slaves, we were sold into slavery, this is what happened, but the damage is already done. It's already been done. We have to find a a solution 
to the problem in in nowadays some people are like that in in a sense but some people are still stuck on this is the, they did it and um they did it and then th- this is why you know they did it so we're not gonna like these people or something and i know you know not to make any excuses but i wonder how that makes people feel now to where you know we've never been slaves technically uh right and in 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 some of the Caucasian people, white people that we encounter with that are our age, they wasn't uh slave owners. Right. So they have right. to live and of course that doesn't excuse anything because they need to educate themselves and they need to also hold their families and their whole culture accountable for what they did. But of course, you know, you do have some people who earnestly want to help change the narrative and then everybody is still stuck on who caused slavery and all right. of this right i hear that a lot you hear um sometimes people that are you know white say but i didn't own any slaves why am i being forced to pay for this i didn't do any this wasn't me and you know as you said it's like well it's not about assigning blame it's about trying to figure out solutions and also to help people understand yeah you didn't own a slave but you benefit from the system mm-hmm. that has that is exist right now so that's where the issue is so it's kind of helping people and the problem is that unfortunately um a lot of times you people get defensive it's 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 hard to hear that hey you know white supremacy is a thing um and you benefit from it and you know it makes people feel guilty um and they get defensive but it's like we don't want you to be feel guilty we just want you to be a little bit more active in trying to dismantle this system um, so that everyone can benefit. So I think that's just, we have to do a lot more work in this country on a larger scale um, because that's typically what happens. They go straight to being hostile and defensive. It's like, no, 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 no. We just want you to help. Can you can you help? Instead of being upset and angry about it um, and let's move forward. So yeah, I, I agree. We do oftentimes like to spend a lot of time in general talking about the problem a lot. Like we didn't talk, we didn't dissect this problem <laughs> right. uh, 500 times now. We know what the problem is. <laughs> Can, can we get some action? The other thing I'm starting to see sometimes too, especially now, we know what the problem is, but now you want to give us these little, little tinkly winkly feel good solutions. Oh, um, we'll change the name of the Washington Redskins team. You should have done that 30 years ago. Um, yeah, thank you, but that you should have been done that. Or, um, well, if we're gonna on, on on that blackout Tuesday, we'll all put our little blackout thing on the thing. It's like, no, we want more than that. We want more. So, I think that's the other side of it as well. Like, you guys are giving us lip service, and we really want answers and solutions. Mm-hmm. This is like the reality of it is, and excuse me, guys, for being so candid, but we've been black. We was black fifteen years ago. We was black yesterday. We was black twenty years ago. You trying to give us these little things is not helping. Like, you're giving us everything that we want. It's, I mean, no, you're giving us everything else, but except for what we want. We want um, equality. We want the police reform. Like, we want to be treated as equal. We don't want these um, black, unarmed male and female children. I mean, not even just speaking on adults, but you got some children that have died at the hand of police officers. You're giving us all this stuff, but you're not giving us this because you want to bird feed us. And some people get real distracted when they do that, you know, and I'm just like, okay, I need, I don't even want to talk about it, but 
it just <laughs> you know it's that conversation itself is just like so it's so just it is it is disheartening like for real like to see at what you know the silence of a lot of people you know I think this has shown us so much because a lot of people have either stated what side they're on by their actions or whatever and then of course even with their silence I feel like they saying a lot yeah oh yes oh yes silence yes you done said something right there um that's the part that is is the hard part it's like wait and I think even Martin Luther King wrote about that you know this silent majority like we we need you to speak up and I know sometimes it can be scary to speak up Mm-hmm. because you feel like oh that's gonna cause some problems but you know there's ways to speak up that um you know everybody has can, can do something and and sometimes we feel like we have to be this martyr and we have to you know stand up and put our lives on the line it's not always it doesn't always have to be that way but yeah that silent majority or that that person that don't say nothing oh you said a lot by not saying anything because we can we hear you loud and clear even though you ain't said nothing right and so in closing well we're not done but in the latter um portion of your book you have a a subject and it's about open your eyes change your community and so there were so many different things that you put in that section that really just stood out to me and like I said you guys I really enjoyed the whole book um this excerpt that I took from the book is actually a little lengthy but I'm gonna go ahead and read it because I feel like um (laughs) you, you needed to hear it you know this is gonna really captivate you so you said in a country like the United States where everyone supposedly has full access to the American dream that information sounds great but if you go to school work hard and get a good job not only will you benefit economically you will more likely be healthier than those who don't That's what, you know, that's what we're told you guys. And then you go on to say that the problem is that the dream is unattainable for many people, particularly black people and other marginalized populations. If education and all the resulting benefits of a good education is is supposed to provide a ticket to economic security and protect people from poor health, why is it that the infant mortality rate for babies born to college educated black women and the other institutions, no, I'm sorry, I I did that wrong. So why is the infant mortality rate for babies born to college-educated Black women higher than that of high school-educated white women? So I'm going to read that again just in case you didn't get that. It says, if education and all the resulting benefits of a good education is, to, is supposed to provide a ticket to economic security, and protect people from poor health, why is it that the infant mortality rate for babies born to college-educated Black women higher than that of high school-educated white women? Further, why has the education system and other institutions we interact with regularly fail Black people so that it is virtually impossible for us to improve our social and economic standing overall? which would ultimately improve our health as well. Boom. <laughs> That's a... Yes. It's a lot. And um, I think this speaks to what I work on in public health and social justice work. 
-hmm. Why is it that our institutions um, don't create a situation where everyone has equal access to the benefits of those institutions? And when I talk about institutions, I'm talking about education, housing, um, religion, and there's a whole host of other ones. But I know you know, and you probably can speak to this, we experience certain institutions as black people differently than other people. Mm-hmm. For example, law enforcement is one. If you are not black, you pretty much know that if you call the police, the police will come to help you. If we call the police, we have to, well, before we even call the police, we have to make a decision if we're going to call the police because either somebody going to get hurt or um, the situation is going to get out of hand more than it is already. So we actually have a different um, relationship with law enforcement. We're overrepresented in the criminal justice system. So our our interactions with law enforcement are very different than other people. Other people are taught, call, call the police, they'll help you. Mm. We call the police, something else happens. And I know police officers personally, so I'm not you know, demonizing specific officers. We're talking about systems, large scale systems, not the individual cop. We ain't talking about that person, even though in some cases, you know, they are obviously are problematic or the educational system. You know, um, someone that lives in the suburbs has an expectation that when they go to school, they're going to have new books. Their facilities are going to look really nice. The teachers are going to be educated and prepared. We don't have that same experience in a lot of our neighborhoods and schools are in bad shape. Books are bad or old, tattered, or they don't have any books. The classrooms are crowded um, and the funding is really bad. Mm -hmm. So why is it that in this country, when we have policies that guarantee free education for everyone from K through 12, our experiences are so different. And, you know, I believe that these institutions and these systems, somebody would say, would probably say, well, that's not fair. The system is not, you know, working the way it's supposed to work. My answer is the system is actually working exactly how it's supposed to work. It was never intended for us. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, right? I talk about in my book, being a college student, walking onto the campus of USC. USC was built, I think, in the year 1880. Do you think they were thinking about a black, a young black girl from South Central, let's build this school for that particular type of student in mind? Absolutely not. That school was not built for me. So just even walking on that campus, being a student there was revolution. Me personally, just standing in that space, being pregnant is, is revolutionary. So I think that we have to do a lot of work collectively, as we said before, can't just be black folk fighting mm-hmm. for equality to fix these systems, to fix our society um, so that these these institutions do work for us. Um, and that when we send our kids to school, they are going to schools that are, are funded well. The teachers are happy to be there um, and they have the resources they need. And I think that's just ultimately the, 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 that's it. I mean, there's nothing really else to say about those kinds of things. We gotta push. Um, and again, it can't just be us pushing. I think a lot of times black women specifically um, have had to do a lot of pushing, pushing through <laughs> right? to try to get things to work. But we all collectively, everybody, and we don't need people to be silent right now. We all gotta put our, um, we gotta vote. We gotta 
go to our local council district offices. We got to do whatever we got to do to demand um, that everybody gets what they need to have so that their lives are as happy and healthy as possible. Right. And so as we open our eyes to change our community, um, you gave us five bulletins and I did, I pulled things, but of course, for the sake of time, and of course, we are hoping that you guys have already purchased the book from our last episode anyways. <laughs> so um, how do you create change in the communities? One, you shift your thinking. And I think that you guys have heard me say it over again. Perspective is key. So if you change your thinking, you'll change uh, your behavior as well as what she said, you'll be open minded too. think about your talents, what your talents are and use them as leveraging point as a leveraging point to move things forward. Three, just start because a lot of us have those things on our mind and we don't even move forward Four, look for mm-hmm. like minded people, which she can attest to herself once if you read the book or if you're planning on getting a book, you know what we're referring to with that. And then lastly, remember that you are not alone in your situation or thinking. So when you created these five bulletin points, you know, I feel like you, I feel like you did a great job when you said that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I mean, I think they're really important. And actually the most important one to me is the, is number um, three, just start. A lot of times we talk ourselves out of things. Oh, well, nobody will want that. Or, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Sometimes you just got to go and and know that, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. You're going to touch somebody. Um, Somebody was going to want what you have to offer. And so starting is the hardest part, but it's like, you just got to do it. Ain't nothing to it, but to do it. (laughs) (laughs) But that is so true. Like, that's for real though. Yep. And so I agree when you talk about self-care and stress reduction, because, of course, all the stress is tied to our health. And so um, you go in detail, which I'm not going to go in detail, but I'm going to give you a little Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you guys a little something. And you said the fear of the unknown can hold us captive to what's familiar and safe. I faced my fears and in return, I got the chance to see how other people live, experience a new culture and make 22 new friends in the process. This trip pushed me to see what I am capable of. It taught me that I can both be afraid of an experience and move forward with making it happen at the same time. And the trip reminded me that I could still surprise myself even at 40. Yeah, that was my first time going out of the country, deathly afraid. I kept thinking this plane going to crash or something going to happen where I am. I'm not going to make it back. And I was that scared. I would think about it all the time, but I still got my behind on that plane mm-hmm. at the end of the day. I'm like, I mean, if it happens like that, it happens like that. Um, but guess what? It might not happen like that. And I might be able to have a wonderful trip and come back and be able to tell my friends and family. So a lot of times we talk ourselves out of opportunities because we're afraid and it's okay to feel afraid. I don't want people to think, no, don't you don't be afraid. Just do it. Just do it. No, it's okay to sit in that fear. You just can't stay there. Mm, Okay. I'm going to get out of that. How I'm going to move past it. And so for me, that fear was sitting on that plane for 12 hours or however long I sat on that plane. (laughs) But then I took steps to figure out a way to make sure I got through it. I talked to people that had done it before. Oh, yeah, I I got on a plane and this is what I did. I had my noise canceling headphones. I watched movies. So you talk to people about ways to get through it. You know, I talked to my boyfriend. I'm like, I'm scared. And he was like, well, it's it's okay to be scared. You know, nobody's saying don't be scared. But, you know, how often? And and, and so he's he's very cerebral. He's like, so how often does a plane crash? 
compared <laughs> to how often the car accidents happen. Right. And I'm like, okay, you, you're more likely to die in a car accident than on the plane. So I said, yeah, you're right. I said, but that, that, that didn't really help me. I didn't tell him that. <laughs> the <laughs> rationality of it didn't help me. <laughs> well, I appreciated the effort. He, he, he did try. <laughs> so ultimately I just had to go through it and, um, get to the other side, you know? And then, um, if I'm not mistaken, you really, you went by yourself. Well, you didn't go by yourself, but you didn't go with people like your daughter or you didn't take your boyfriend or a family member. You were kind of like solo in a sense that you were getting to know everybody at the same time. Yeah, there was one friend I had. She's the one that kind of suggested it. So I knew who she was. Oh, okay. And then the other women, they had traveled before. So they were all friends already because they had gone, I think, to Greece like the year before. Mm-hmm. So I did come in kind of not knowing anyone except just my friend. Um, and um, but at the end of the day now, you know, I have what, 20 something new people. Oh, hey, how are you? And what's going on? And we talked a lot um, and, and got to know each other. So that was really good. And they were all I think they all were black, black women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. which was cool right mm-hmm. and you talked already about talk to people who are doing what you want to do um you said yes. you say find a mentor or other like-minded individuals who have the same vision and goals and then last but not least always be prepared as the saying goes if you stay ready you won't have to get ready show enough show enough be ready for those you know anticipated or unanticipated things that come into life um and just rely on your 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 friends and your family and and uh know who you can go to when stuff like that happens because it will happen right exactly and so thank you again um this really has been a pleasure for me you know the whole opportunity getting to know you reading the book having these deep conversations with you, um, you being so transparent about how you feel and what you put in the book or what you feel just about certain issues um, that we covered that, of course, we're not in the book. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Again, Nicole, if you can, please give them your contact information so they can reach out to you, follow you, and, of course, give you um, a chance by reading the book. Perfect. I am on Instagram. My Instagram is Nicole D. Vick. So on the Instagram, you're going to see, you know, mention of the book. You're also going to see me being a fashionista. I'm really into plus size fashion. Um, And you'll also see videos of my daughter and I. We've recently started kind of talking about current events and I love hearing her perspective. So if you go on my Instagram and follow me, you'll see all of that there. Um, My book is on Amazon. And you can probably just type in my name or the title, Pushing Through, Finding the Light in Every Lesson. The Kindle version is up um, right now. It is $9.99 and it went number one, which is really cool. Um, I'm so excited about that. I screenshot the, <laughs> the, the, the web page and everything. I was like, oh my goodness. Um, and then the paperback is available September 14th, but you can pay for it now and then they'll ship it to you um, around the time that the book, the paperback is available on the 14th of september okay ladies i hope you guys got that information if not you know what to do play back this episode so that you can get her contact information or reach out to me personally either on instagram or facebook or of course if you know me personally you can just text me and i'll get that to you i hope this episode and the last has really been um insightful to you um i hope that you were able to take something from this like all the other episodes before thank you guys for tuning in and i'll be back next week